Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Suzanne Falter is the author of Free Spirited, How My Daughter Healed Me from the Afterlife. This episode has been hosted by Julie Chavez, who is the author of the upcoming Zivi Books title, Everyone But Myself. This is Suzanne Falter's second time on the podcast. Suzanne is the author of the memoir about her daughter, Teal's death, called Free Spirited. And she is also an intuitive coach who helps people find relief from crisis, confusion, and stress. Suzanne hosts the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast, which, by the way, I was interviewed for, where she brings better self-care to thousands of busy people each week in 98 countries around the globe. Suzanne, welcome. I'm so glad to be talking to you for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Welcome. Thank you, Julia. Many thanks. 
Oh, I'm excited. This is, I'm excited to talk about your book, which is Free Spirited, How My Daughter Healed Me from the Afterlife. I was really moved by your book. And I was telling my family about coming to interview you. And I was saying, I can't wait to speak to her because this is such a fascinating experience and story. And it's not something that I have necessarily lived yet. Obviously, I mean, there are pieces I feel like of grieving that I can relate to in this, but it's just, it's beautifully written. And I really, really enjoyed just learning about your experience and getting to know Teal. Oh, well, thank you so much, my dear. Yeah. Can we start there? I would love to hear, I mean, obviously the book gives us much more detail, but what's your favorite way to talk about her? What do you like to tell people <laughs> about Teal? All of a sudden I'm getting teary and I never get teary when I talk about Teal. Well, let me explain to the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Teal was a big-hearted, very, very wonderful, joyful soul. Mm. And she had epilepsy and she had a massive seizure, maybe, we don't really know, cause unknown. She had a massive cardiac arrest and died two hours after I had dinner with her, completely unexpected. Mm. And my favorite way to talk about Teal is really about... Gosh, I'm sorry, Julia. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not usually so teary. Folks, this will be a vulnerable interview. Yeah. Uh, my favorite way to talk about Teal is just to recall all the different ways she loved to live life so vigorously. And really also how I learned so much about compassion and healing and taking good care of myself from her example after her death. Yeah. I loved so many parts of this book. I know that I said just after she was born, you describe a scene where you experienced what you called the beginnings of Teal's deep and abiding influence on you. And <laughs> I love that I personally am honored to see your emotion. It's just such an honoring of her and who she was and is to you mm -hmm. in her life and in the afterlife. I just think it's beautiful. I'd like to hear more about how she changed you. It sounded like it was a softening. You talked about push, push <laughs> survival mode, which by the way, I was like, push, push survival mode could basically be like, put that on the back of my car. I mean, that's right, my life right, motto, right? right like, right. and so she gave you a glimpse of ease and kindness when she was born. Do you want to tell a little bit about that story? Oh, well, you know, I had an extraordinary experience on the day of her birth. Yes. And immediately afterwards, she was in breach, which for those who have not had that experience, you have to have a scheduled cesarean section where they open you up and take out the baby because the baby's basically upside down. They gave me some morphine as part of the process of coming out of that surgery. Mm -hmm. And I began to have these fantastic visions of all kinds of auras that I could read around everybody around me. And I felt I suddenly knew exactly what the, you know, night nurse was going through. I had this unbelievable conversation with my, you know, other bedmate in the mm -hmm. hospital room who I suddenly felt deep, deep compassion for. I just, I was a workaholic, driven, striving, I will be successful if it kills me kind of person. And here comes my first child. 
And of course, that's a very softening experience in and of itself. But I was given the gift of feeling into all these people's personal experiences and immediately looking at them, seeing this glow around them and understanding more deeply, innately about who they were. And it sounds pretty weird. I thought at the time I was losing it. <laughs> um, and Perfect. I might have been in some like morphine kind of way. But it was so profound that forever after that, I've associated Teal with being deeply compassionate. And sure enough, her friends used to call her Kuan Yin, who was the Asian goddess of compassion, Buddhist goddess. And dear Teal just believed so deeply in the power of oneness as, as a singer. She was a singer in her lifetime. And I think one of my favorite things about her was her singing, because I'm was i also a singer, and the two of us would sing together mm. and have the most connected experiences singing together. But we also just loved life on a very similar level. And it was just such an honor to be her mother, such an honor, because... Um, she was a totally different kind of person. The other thing to know about Teal is that she was a free spirit, which is why <laughs> the book is called Free Spirited, because yes. slowly, as in the prying of the lid off of the, uh, you know, crate or the casket, I emerged <laughs> as a more free spirited person myself from the experience of grieving her loss. I couldn't help it because, you know, at the time I was doing a business I didn't particularly like. I was burning out. My relationship had just ended. I was wandering around the Bay Area trying to figure out where to live, and I'd only arrived here a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. I was just really lost. And then she died, and the bottom dropped out, and I suddenly had no home, no relationship. I had closed my business, and now I had no daughter. So I was trying to get a grip and figure out what to do, and I just decided to surrender to the process. I rented a room in someone's home. That was, you know, just a basic, simple little situation. And I made it a point to just live on as little money as I could and work as little as possible. And I really didn't work for about two years. And I had some savings, which was fortunate. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had a friend who put me up for free mm -hmm. in her house. And, you know, I just lived sort of like Teal. Because Teal's deal was, I'm here to bring joy I'm a singer. I will busk on the street. I will work as a waitress, put the cash in my pocket, go to an airport and just pick a destination and leave. And she went through the world with her little guitar singing on the streets all over the world and making friends. And she died, my friends, at age 22. <laughs> so that tells you a little Golly. bit about Teal. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those things about her. I love hearing about her and just her bravery and who she was to you, like I said, both before and after. I mean, reading about your experience, kind of the rootlessness that you experienced right after her death, I really, it's so challenging for me because I am such a tightly controlled, that's my tendency. And so to read about that and seeing how, like you were describing, so many things that you would, it sounds like placed your identity in and also kind of you know, who those were just ripped out at the roots and suddenly there you are trying to figure it out. So such a brave time for you as well to to try and take that time to transform and heal. 
instead of digging back in in another way. Well, and it was tempting. I tried to restart my business many times, and every single time, as if watching me from the beyond, the universe just took that business right away. I launched a website. It was hacked into multiple times, and finally my webmaster's hard drive was being eaten by malware, and she was like, I'm done here. So I had to give up. I had to give up. I would have restarted if I could have. I knew it was wrong. I knew that that would not lead me to where I needed to be. Finally, when the um, hacking attack started, I really did back off because it was obvious that nothing was going to happen. I had, you know, booked coaching clients and then they would all cancel because they'd be like, you're broken, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I want to take advice from you currently. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the hardest thing about being a driven person is that you are deeply in denial about what you need. And you're you're getting something out of it. So you're perpetuating the myth, the lie, the um, illusion. But you can't really say that, okay, I definitely need to just stop for two years. I thought I was quitting for a month. I thought I was just taking a month off. Then it became two months and suddenly it was two years. I, I just couldn't go back to work. So I finally started to listen to myself. And, and you know, I, I have a book about self-care, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, which was the precursor to this book, because the big thing I learned was compassion and oneness, our connectedness to the afterlife, but also self-care. And Teal was really good at self-care. Because of her medical condition, she had to be. But, you know, she took meticulous care of herself, and she would say exactly what she thought meant. She didn't let people walk all over her, and she was highly sensitive to her own needs. And may we all be so, you know? I know that you're winding down the podcast because I listened to a few episodes, and you mentioned Mm -hmm. that in the beginning. But I was really, what you just said, that when you're a driven person, you're in denial about what you actually need. I mean... Let me change my bumper sticker to that because that is, <laughs> hello, everyone. I'm driving away from what I need. Like that right. is exactly, that is so accurate. But what a beautiful thing that you had a daughter put in your life who taught you exactly what you needed to know, which is that you must care for yourself. I just, mm. that was, that really resonated with me and Especially, I don't, we haven't spoken about this, but I wrote a memoir. It's coming out next year, but it's about a crash that I had after I took too long, spent too long caring for everyone but myself. And then suddenly I was a disaster. And so that lesson, true self care, not the performative kind that we see so much of, but this true question of how am I taking care of myself? Am I addicted to stress? Am I paying attention? Am I paying attention to me, to what's happening around me? All these things. It's just, it's a message that we can't hear enough of. So I love that she was brought into your life, you know, not to teach you that in that way, but that that was part of who she was to you. Oh, I think I think that was a big piece of why we yeah. were brought together. I also really had to experience sort of Teal's ongoing wisdom and her mm. energy around me. I had to, it really pulled me through my grief. This feeling that I was not alone, that whatever can be said about the afterlife, and of course, we don't really know and we'll never know, it felt real to me, boy. And it felt like this was happening for a reason. It felt like I was not 
as off base as I thought that I began to realize that everything was happening according to a greater plan and that I just needed to get with the program and surrender. And the more I fought it, the more difficult it would be. You know, I got this sort of little channeled blip that came down, which said, spirit helps, but you create, meaning you set the intention, you get in touch with what you need and want, you create that from your gut, and you will get assistance. You won't necessarily get assistance with the things you don't want. And I did not want that business, (laughs) even though I was trying to restart it out of a fear-based decision called, I'm going to run out of money. Oh, I'm sure enough, you know, decisions, they always turn out so great. (laughs) Yeah, right. And I had a surprise job offer come into my lap writing fiction, which I did for eight years. Let's see, two years into her death in 2014. And, you know, it was somebody who'd known me all my life and who just came out of nowhere and wealthy person offered to um, sponsor me kind of, you know, invest in fiction. And we started a little publishing company and I wrote a bunch of novels and I had published fiction in the past, but I hadn't, uh, not for 15 years, I hadn't written a novel. So that was pretty great. That's amazing. I really, in reading your book and continuing to see that concept of surrendering, there is so much to that of, you know, what am I aligning with in terms of my life? What is it that I'm trying to get to? And asking those deeper questions of, you're exactly right. What do I really want that's below the things I think I need and the things I think I want, right? How do I kind of get down there? One thing I wanted to ask you, you talked a lot about your dreams, or it feels like Teal really showed up a lot for you in your dreams and you gain a lot of insight from your dreams. Do you still, is that something that still happens for you? How do you hold on to your dreams? How do you interpret them? I was really interested to hear more about that. Thank you for asking about that, because the dreams were probably one of the biggest tools I used in managing the loss of Teal. These dreams would happen often as I was just waking up, and they would either be a full-on dream, or it would be my eyes opened, I looked around, and I suddenly had a deep awareness, or in a few cases, I even saw a vision. And those do not happen now, and I don't need them to happen now. And interestingly, I'm writing a memoir of my father. It's actually a biography because he's not writing it. I am. (laughs) I'm writing a biography of my father, John Falter, who was a Saturday Evening Post cover artist and illustrator and had an incredible career. And um, I was, you know, this job came unbidden from a museum and I'm writing this thing and I'm having these dreams about him. And it's a very similar kind of experience. He died in 1982. And, you know, I feel he's showing me things that I need to have greater understanding about. Now, what I do with these dreams and with the dreams about from Teal and in the dreams of Teal, I, you know, I would dream that we were at a cocktail party. In one of them, we were at a cocktail party and she was maybe 35. She was sort of future Teal. Mm -hmm. And she came up to me and we were hugging and chatting and just having a wonderful time together. And it was like a visit from Teal. Another Mm -hmm. time I I dreamt we were watching TV together, much the way we used to. But then in other dreams, in one of them, she showed up and she was very Botoxed and she was wearing these like groovy dreads and these big aviator sunglasses and completely the opposite of who she really was because she was an extremely down-to-earth, simple person who walked around in jeans and T-shirts and torn kids. And, I love um, kids. Yeah, right. Good choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> so she she looked at me and she said, 
unmute your phone. And then she disappeared. And at the time I had given up my smartphone and I just had a little flip phone and I had it on mute all the time. I really didn't want to be bothered by people unless it was an emergency. Mm-hmm. And I saw that she was showing me that I had developed a false persona, this you know workaholic. And I at the time I was working with a style consultant and I had all these headshots and I was just so in my ego and so in my narcissism. And uh, she was showing me I could unmute my phone. I could let go of my fear of the people and I could stop being my false self. I could be my true self and let people in. And that dream took me a while to understand. So what I did was I wrote it down. And when you write down everything that happens in a dream, if you sit with it for a moment, you do get a deeper understanding. So you just keep writing. And sometimes your pen just has to move across the page. Just let it flow. And I always have a little section called the dream and then the interpretation. And the interpretation made itself clear. And I never would have understood that if I had just thought about the dream. Because Mm. those links are a bit unclear, correct? Yes. With my dad's book, I am dreaming vaguer dreams so far. I haven't gotten super clear instruction, but I'm... The biggest mystery in this book is his first wife, who he was married to for 25 years, who he built his career with. And she was a CIA agent. She was a fascinating character. And I don't know a lot about her. And he's dropping little seeds about who she was and how their dynamic was together. And it just shows up, you know. And I really think these dreams present themselves when the message needs to be delivered. That was my big takeaway, because I almost never dream about Tealy anymore. And um, despite my tears at the beginning of this episode, (laughs) I feel my grief has been uh, greatly healed. Yeah. Well, and that's a good reminder, right, that I think there there is healing and the tears can hopefully still be part of that, right? Mm, Proof of our love. Of course, of course. Like, I I love to let my feelings out through my eyeballs. Happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. God bless you. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. (laughs) Did you know I had a great chat with a photomicrographer once who takes microscopic photographs of tears? 
And the crystalline structure for different types of tears is completely different. So your body produces tears in grief that are different from, say, tears of frustration or tears of joy or tears of anger. And that tells me how healing crying is. I am going to be thinking about that all day. That is Mm. so incredible. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to be thinking about that. I can't wait to hear about that or learn more about that. That's Mm. fascinating. Yeah, I'm a big fan of crying because for me, I keep everything so tight that that sometimes is the only way to unlock a little bit, right? Or if I haven't cried in a while, yeah. Um, I mean, we can save my issues for another podcast, obviously. (laughs) There's no need to get into that today. Thank you for sharing that about the dreams. I really find that so fascinating and also very hopeful because Mm. I have known people in my life that are gone and I miss them and to know... I just, I think that's very hopeful to think about the afterlife. Do people ask you questions about the afterlife now that you've had these experiences, you've written the book? What do they tend to ask you or or what do you wish they would ask? You know, because well, I feel like people have yeah. sort of strange ways that they frame it up. So what what do you like? I don't have any particular agenda for how I want people to interact with me, you know, hopefully on anything. Sure. But on the afterlife, I would say... People really are curious, and then people always have their own experiences with the mm. afterlife. It's amazing how much you know conversation there actually is about this, etherically conversations yes. that are happening in dreams, in visions, in insights, whispering. One of my old housemates used to smell pot every once in a while, even though she had none in her house. And sure enough, her late husband had been a big weed smoker. <laughs> so she'd smell like, oh, he's here. He's you know, here. Why? That's a very distinctive smell. And why would you suddenly smell that? You know? Wow. <laughs> it's just cool. I mean, it's just cool to me. And unexplainable, as I said earlier. And uh, mystery keeps us going, you know? Yeah. I think that that's a really good reminder. I love to think about mystery. And I think my favorite people are people who have an appreciation for mystery because Mm. we just, there's so much we don't know and we'll never know. So do you think complete, so this, it's funny, I wrote down this question and we kind of touched on it in a minute ago, but do you think that healing ever hits a point of completion or is it just a constant evolution? Well, I think, you know, we have collective grief for many things. I'm grieving Teal, my mother, my father, you know, friends I've lost. It's like, (laughs) there's lots of death in our lives. And, um, you know, the big path is that grief is our teacher. So we Mm. learn a bunch of things from a grief experience. If we allow the grief in, it will wash us, it will cleanse us, it will provide us with insights, it'll perhaps give us inspiration. You know, I'm thinking of the women who started MAD, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, who lost children to drunk drivers and started this awesome and powerful organization that reformed driving laws around intoxication. That's the kind of thing that grief can give way to. We have a little saying in the world of people who've lost uh, children, which is you either become better or you become bitter. And, uh, you know, like I didn't know that in the beginning. I was just kind of very, very aware. The minute Teal 
wound. I mean, just to be clear about her story, she collapsed in a bathroom. She her heart was started half an hour after her collapse. She was taken to a hospital. She never regained consciousness. And she began to decline again from there until finally six days later, we had to take her off life support. During that six days, and in fact, the minute I saw her stretched out in the ER, I knew she would die. And I knew I would be changed. And I knew the whole thing was meant to be. I didn't accept it, but I knew it. And I had this weird experience where I was standing there looking at her about half an hour after I came into that room and the nurse said to me, this must be so hard not knowing what was going to happen because she wasn't dead, but she wasn't fully alive. She was in a vegetative state, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she and some people, as we know, historically have lingered in those places for years. She said, it must be hard not knowing what's going to happen. And I said, for reasons I really didn't even understand at the time, life is change. Life is change. And then I'm like, wow, do I really think that? I was like, yeah, I do think that. Life is change. Doesn't mean I was glib. I was in shock, actually, is what the truth was. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't uh, throw that out. But I understood that, you know, expect the unexpected. That much I understood. And I had already lost a lot in the previous two months. So, you know, when we allow life to change us and we go with it and we surrender to it and we open ourselves up to what's possible, even if we don't know what it will look like or how it will feel or even logistical things like how will I make a living, the answer will present itself and the path is drawn out and it is all ahead of us if we allow it to provide us with what we need. Gosh, you are just dropping serious wisdom here. I am going to listen back to this and write it down. No, it's true, though. There is, life is change. And it is so, I think as a parent, too, it's it makes it so challenging to, it's just a continual letting go, right? Mm. Of mm. In all ways, over and over again. And for those of us who aren't great at surrendering, allowing the club that I'm going to start, you know, uptight people, <laughs> I don't know, I'll call it something great. But like, for those of us who, who have that, it really is this let go or be dragged kind of thing. Like, this is what is happening. And how do I just enter it and let it go? Let go or be dragged. There you go, my yes, friend. Yes, That's it in a nutshell. Because, you know, hey, dragging's not fun. I have other friends who've lost children who have chosen to be dragged. <laughs> and 18 years later, they're still bitter and still pissed. And their lives are still run by the fact that they lost a child. I think there's more to life than this. Yeah, I think it's a crisis. I think it's a huge loss. And my deepest sympathy goes out to everybody else in the club who's listening to this. Yeah, And what I know is life is freaking short and yeah. then you die. I mean, take out the freaking and that's what T.S. Eliot said. Yes, yes. <laughs> and boy, he was right because yeah. life is short. Look how short Teal's life was, 22 years. She didn't know she was going to die. Although the interesting thing is when I began to read her journals, and I do write about this a lot in the book, Yeah, she had seeds of understanding of what was coming. And she wrote in her book, I mean, let me just preface this by saying she had a lot of channeled insights 
that she would put into a little ratty notebook. I have it right here. I love a little it. spiral oh. notebook. And right inside, right inside the cover, she wrote, You will be in your power when you are overtaken by light and you can see everything as an opening to freedom. Mm. That was almost exactly a year before her death. And her insights about life, about herself, about her situation, about all of us were profound. And those insights really helped guide me. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, because I wanted to share them with people. Yeah, There were many, many ideas about how to be in this world that take away the limitations, that take away the restrictions, that take away the fear that we are always grounded in. We're grounded in so much fear as we move through life and resistance to what is and denial. I was the queen of denial, believe me. Oh, gosh. I think I could talk to you all day, Suzanne. I'm like, (laughs) I just, uh, I really, I love, I love hearing all of this. I want to just finish by talking about kind of your life that has grown up since. And Mm. you say in the book, you found new love in your life. But the part that you wrote that I loved, which was love doesn't happen when you find the right person. It happens when you find the right you. And is that something that you continue to see and grow into? What is, how does that fit in your relationship now? Well, I'm 64 and my wife is 71. We met almost, let's see, we met um, just about two years after Teal's death. Mm -hmm. And by then I felt that I had moved through enough of my grief that I had space for someone else. It was super clear to me that it wasn't going to happen prior to that. And when I was ready, I just sort of made a decision and very quickly she fell into place and she was described to me in detail by a psychic. And at the time I, I, um, the psychic actually contacted me and said, I was, I was told to gift you a reading. And I was like, well, okay, let's go. And she said, you will, you know, you will find the love of your life. And, you know, I won't go into the whole story because it's pretty detailed, but it was extremely accurate. And sure enough, two months later, I met my wife. And, um, you know, the thing about our relationship is we are people who have met later in life when, you know, kind of the lessons have really been largely learned, although there is always another path of learning, and we're on that path of learning. But our ability to be in a committed, serene, loving, deep relationship is far greater than it used to be because Mm -hmm. life is this sequence of learning. Learning, learning, learning. We're learning all the time. This relationship is much easier than my 25-year marriage was to my former husband. And not because, you know, gay, straight, whatever. Yeah. That's not the point. The point is that who I was with him and who he was with me were completely different Mm. than who I am with her now. And he helped me learn how to be in that relationship as I helped him. And, you know, we're always surrounding ourselves with the perfect teachers. I got into a terrible relationship prior to meeting my wife that was really marked by a lot of dysfunction. And that taught me even more about how to be in this relationship, in this marriage. And um, I have to say, it gets better all the time. 
despite the physical ailments, <laughs> despite, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, the creep, creep, creep of decrepitude, you know, <laughs> we are really aware of how fortunate we are. And that mm. sure helps. Well, I love that you used the word serene, because I think that's such a beautiful goal to have. But you're exactly right. We are hopefully growing into who we're meant to become, but that takes time and pressure and the right circumstances. So you're right that those relationships later in life really can have a different shape and form to them because we better understand what we don't need there. I even see it in writing the memoir about my dad's life. I even see it in his first marriage and then his marriage to my mother, how he and his first wife evolved and then eventually split apart and how that all went down and how he and my mother got together. It's like, I can see the path. I can see the progression of personal evolution. You know, even though it was the 50s and the 60s and people were, well, not so evolved. It was more the martini culture, you know. Yes, but you're exactly right. And I think that's the advantage of looking back on the fullness of someone's life is that you can see their path. And so if we can translate that wisdom into our life and know that... I'm on the right track, whatever the, tra- you know, if I'm paying attention, then mm. I can have an act of faith that the the conditions are right for preparing me for whatever is next. Yeah. But so it is. Oh, so it is. Thank you for this time. This was a joy. This conversation was everything I thought it would be. I was reading your book and I thought she is going to have some interesting and valuable things to say. And indeed you have. So I'm so excited that people will get to meet you this way and They'll get to meet Teal, both in your book and in you. And I just, I'm thrilled about the whole thing. So thanks so much for the time today. Many thanks, Julia. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.